You're listening to And what is poppin' everybody? It is Thursday, March the 3rd, 2022. It's episode 94 of the Good Pop Culture Club. My name is Marvin Yu, and joining me as always to talk about all the good pop to get through our days, we have self-proclaimed professional Asian American Jess Jew. Hey Marvin. What's up, Jess? It's almost spring. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I can't wait for the darkness to I'm actually very looking forward to this daylight, daylight? savings. Yeah. Whatever. Like we I just want it to be bright when I finish work <laughs> also joining us professional culture editor han win hi hey, han. happy hi. march happy uh it's women's history month it is women's it is our month which we i find kind of a little condescending disneyland apparently like turned their <gasps> mickey into a mini i'm like R- R- yeah really R- really okay all okay all the ways that corporate corporations jump on the bandwagon for these sort of fake holidays it's like i understand <laughs> honoring things like, Wait, Jess, can... you mean you aren't fooled by the bare minimum? She's not even a woman. Do? She's a female fictional mouse that has been with her deadbeat boyfriend for how many decades now? No, what, what I've called this month instead, Marvin, is Mommy Issues March because there are several movies coming out with about mommy? Asian women and their mommy issues. And Aww. I feel very seen. This is true. I just watched the trailer for Amma, which is the oh. new Sam Raimi produced horror film starring Sandra Oh and Fievel Stewart. And um, are we watching this? Are we going to watch this? We should. I, you know, I'm going to have to. As much as I don't like horror, yeah, it's, it's Sam Raimi and it's Sandra. It's oh. Sam Raimi horror. Yeah, and Iris is my Iris is one mine. You know, so gotta support. And already yeah. in the trailer, they have that Evil Dead house like spinning shot yeah. so i i feel like watched, it's gonna be good it's gonna yeah, be good I've, yeah i've watched all the evil deads i've written about evil dead so that's about the level of horror i can kind of deal with yeah really really unpacking our trauma and our relationships with our mothers this <laughs> yeah. month thanks the thanks. most scary thing you can do happy march well um it is our first episode of march slash last episode of i guess february ish um this week which means it's time for another edition of Do We Want This, our monthly news roundup segment. But before we get to that, uh, let's talk about some more mommy issues with our <laughs> weekly dose of What's Poppin'. Because, Jess, you watched something that Han and I both wanted to watch, yes. but we were not invited. It, it, well, it's coming out soon. So, yes, in line with Mommy Issues March, I was very fortunate to be invited to the world premiere of Turning Red, the upcoming Disney and Pixar animated film. Uh, that is coming to Disney Plus, I think for free, like you don't have to pay extra on March 11th. So that's next Friday. Everyone will see it soon enough. It was fantastic. It is written, it was directed by Domi Shi, the director of Bao, the very traumatic um, oh. short film, <laughs> Pixar short film, where a, about mommy issues and her yes. eating um, her dumpling son. <laughs> Loved it. And also co-written by Domi Shi and Julia Cho, uh, the playwright, not the actress, who is a very beloved playwright in uh, on Broadway. She's written some of my favorite things. Very, very seminal in my high school and college theater career. Because basically, I was like, "Yeah, I'm just gonna do monologues from this woman's work." Because like that's the only thing I got <laughs> as like an Asian woman. Uh, there are other Asian writers, but I very much love her work. 
and stars a cast including Sandra Oh, Rosalind Chang, um, Maitreyi, who is playing mm. one of her friends. And it is, okay, like, this movie is so specific to the Asian American millennial or Asian American, I'm saying that like general because she's Canadian. Technically, the movie takes place in Toronto, but like the Asian Western diaspora millennial woman experience going through puberty in the early 2000s and being in love with boy bands. They're um, saying this film very was laser targeted this to adjust film, you. You know, it's the thing, same thing with like Encanto, you know, and like it's when people closer or I don't know, it's people your age is starting to make movies or you're just getting closer to the age where people put you in charge of stuff. You realize your peer group is now like supposed to be in charge of some things. And you're like, wow, these movies kind of hit different. Cause like, it's just such a like, wow. No, it's also like, none of my experiences are unique. <laughs> I've never had a unique thought experience or feeling in my life because this movie and granted my parents were not as insane as, the mother character played by Sandra O's in this movie. But it's a lot about, you know, finding yourself, going through womanhood. Obviously, the panda turning into a panda is also a metaphor for, you know, your period and womanhood and coming, growing up. The girls, all the little girls, you know, they're 13 in this movie. And all the girls in this friend group is just like really, like, they're just really thirsty for boys. You know, they're getting crushes for the first time that's all they can think about they're like obsessed with this boy band and here's you know it doesn't matter how what generation you are every single generation there is a boy band and it doesn't matter if it was the new kids on the block or the backstreet boys or new edition or in sync or bts or one direction that love is such a unifying experience it's such a specific experience it's that, that it's it's universal and it's often so laughed at because it is the realm of young preteen girls. And people love to laugh at young preteen girls. But young preteen girls are often the carriers of pop culture and taste. Uh, I mean, the Beatles were a boy band. <laughs> so, and like young girls, young teenage girls fled to them first and they do not. And then, you know, then like it becomes like the annoying like crusty man fandom misogynistic man fandom but i'm just like so this movie which is directed and written by like asian women who probably like had that experience like just feels very loving and i feel very seen and it's you know it's a pixar movie so there are sad moments and super joyful moments the music is amazing apparently written by billy eilish eilish <laughs> eilish sorry that's how old i am i don't know how to say her name <laughs> I do wish it was written by, like, Max Martin, the OG. If you know who Max Martin is, you know. Uh, and But it was really great. I can't wait for people to see it. I was, like, telling all my friends. I was like, ooh, let's get, get ready. Like, get ready. I was, like, texting all my friends. I was like, this little girl is me, basically, in the eighth grade. Uh, you can attest to this. Like, gird your loins. It's going to be a flashback. But, yeah, highly recommend. Uh watch it if you're strong enough watch it with your family like your mom and see what she says i bet you she's gonna be like the mom was right <laughs> <laughs> i mean you're on file as a abuela defender so you know i will say i think this mom is way more insane than abuela <laughs> <laughs> and like abuela had reasons you know yeah, like abuela yeah. had reasons this mom just wild she's like doesn't know oh she does like she does four like things that made me cringe <laughs> Like I'm, helicopter parent to the max. 
And I um, I feel for Domi Shi and any of the artists who put their personal experiences into this because that is so embarrassing. Uh, my mom was super chill. I was talking to Marvin about this earlier before we started recording. I was like, you know, this key, the key is really to disappoint your parents early and then they don't expect that shit. <laughs> and I think we're all in the arts or like in writing. So we definitely disappointed our parents at some point much earlier in life <laughs> as opposed to, you know, doing the good Asian kid thing, getting the degree, getting the medical degree, being the lawyer, and then having a crisis after that. We just had our crisis before. And honestly, saved us a lot of time and money. Yeah. So yeah. You're welcome, Go to art school, kids. <laughs> That's my takeaway. But Han, what's popping with you? Uh, okay, so I've already professed my love of Love is Blind, that train wreck of a show. Yes. But... I do have to highly recommend uh, Love is Blind Japan. I am watching that at a slower pace because of subtitling, you know, so I've got to read it. I cannot uh, multitask except possibly maybe eat while I'm watching, (laughs) Um, which sometimes is necessary because they do talk about Japanese food sometimes. Um, But um, I'm only on the second episode and there are some things I know about the show that I won't spoil, but I do have to say in in sort of the same vein as how like Terrace House was the nicer version of the real world, this is definitely the nicer version of the dating show. Um, because Love Is Blind is always a little bit cringy, right? Um, two people like the Amer- it started in America. Two people in in separate pods are talking through a wall, so they actually literally don't see each other, and they go on a series of blind dates with a bunch of people until they keep on like coming up with the same person that they like and they they request to talk to them and the point is you um if you get far enough then someone pops the question you are then determined to marry them within like something like 40 30 40 days um and then you get to meet them in person and then you get to meet their family and all that stuff so anyway the american version has been very cringe in many ways um especially because people are just like they're anyway um but the japanese one is so like not a surprise it's so earnest it's it's very sweet um i'm kind of gunning for for them uh there are quite a few engagements whether or not they turn into marriages i have yet to see but just to uh not quite spoil some things but um one of the first couples I see that gets engaged. So in the American version, when they get engaged, they kind of are on both sides of this like really big room. And then the door sliding doors open. So they see each other for the first time. So here the production value is different. They uh, meet each other on a, a bridge and there are like fake cherry blossoms. And it's very sweet. It's very cute. Um, one guy who proposes to this woman, she's like, well, wait, first, before I say I say yes or anything, she's like, I have a list of things that you need to know about me before you enter into any sort of like commitment. So she lists like four things that are kind of like about her weaknesses. And her fifth one is, um, I really like miso soup, but I like to put a lot of things in it. She's like, you don't understand how many things I like to put in it. <laughs> and she's like, are you OK with that? 
The shame, the shame of liking too many things in your miso soup. I mean, has that been a deal breaker in the past? Is that why it's like it must have been? It must have been. She had to feel she had to bring it up. Well, or maybe it was number five, and she knew it was kind of whatever. But you know what? Some people are weird, weird like that. But anyway, so he acted appropriately and said, "You're adorable and you're perfect." And so I, uh, I have to actually hopefully see them um, meet and see how that uh, she reacts because. Uh, he's also bleach blonde, um, which is you know really wild over there, right? And it, for for the uh, these characters, uh, these people are very somewhat conservative, and um, so that would be like maybe I don't know opening the doors and seeing like a juggalo. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so whatever it is, like it's gonna be a little bit you know because he's like I I feel afraid. Like what if she, when she sees me, it's not gonna be what she expects. Um, but anyway, they're all very sweet. Um, and, and it's just interesting to hear this sort of courtship. Um, it's definitely um, more straightforward, a lot more vulnerable. Um, yeah. And it's just, I don't know. It's one of the couples that I saw got together. Like the guy started crying. <laughs> I was just like, oh, um, he was just so touched. So we love a soft boy. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, this is kind of what I re- need right now is just. Yeah, I feel like if I were to watch A Love is Blind, I would probably pick this version than the American version because I I'm online, I'm on Twitter. Yeah. I see all the um all the articles about um the American version and how yeah. like there's a lot of train wreck yeah. moments in that. Yeah. And also like so the second season of the American one like had two South Asian people who kind of got together and then there's one Korean American woman who got together with a guy. And so there was a little bit of Asian stuff there that I found interesting because you know there was some you know they had to meet the parents they had to you know talk about the family stuff um so as an american i was definitely interested and also the idea of you know one of the south asian people definitely had a little bit of internalized um racism um which was a thing that has been mentioned so that was interesting to me but it wasn't as sweet i was not gunning for any of those people i didn't i wanted all of them to break up um (laughs) Whereas this one, I'm just like, even if they don't get along, I just hope someone, you know, this person finds love elsewhere, you know, because I'm just like, you're just insecure. I get it. I get it. You know, um, and also just you, you can see the values in in Japanese society where uh, they are probably a little bit more um, reserved about things. And so, like, it's a big deal. You're a divorcee. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's just fascinating. I think it's very sweet. And I think the the set design is more harmonious i hate to say that but it's true it's uh it's not as garish to me because in the american version you're talking through a, some sort of glowing wall that looks like it's out of star trek it's and a, it's a little sad how quickly yeah. things become trash the moment you bring it to america well no it was started in america that's the thing yeah and and you have to give props where props is due like there's still a couple that got married on season there's two couples from season one that got married and are still together yeah and actually the first that one of those couples is one that I, we were all very happy yes, about we were we, very happy for the other one whatever yeah. but yeah exactly <laughs> they they're both trash they deserve each other whatever so um but yeah the, that one couple i was just like yes first of all interracial couple and also he treated her with ultimate respect even though he did do bad rapping um but anyway yeah so um i'm i'm hoping like on this journey with these uh with these japanese people i i get my faith um 
reconfirmed with humanity. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I I, I want someone else to watch it. I have no one to talk to about this. (laughs) Oh, you have the wrong friend group. You should come to talk to my friend's group. They, They only... Watch the Japanese versions of these dating shows. Well, I have friends who normally would, but sometimes they feel scared about cringe. So I have to warn them first whether or not it ha- it's too cringy. But I think they might check it out. Um, and then uh, some some other person I need to check to see if she's watched it. But also she has weird opinions sometimes. So <laughs> I don't know if I want to talk to her about that. But yeah. Anyway, um, so that is my thing. What's popping with you, Marvin? All right. So over the weekend, I read Love Boat Reunion um, by Abigail Hing Wen. Um, it is the sequel to her first book, Love Boat Taipei, which is right now, I think they just finished shooting um, the film version oh. in Taiwan. So that's coming soon, too. Um, but yeah, um, I read it for my other book club podcast, Books and Boba, because we interviewed Abigail about the book. We actually had her on before the first book came out, um, a week before it hit like the New York Times bestsellers list. So Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's been really cool to see her her journey go from you know debuting the book to getting the film deal to getting to see like um, Ross Butler play like the golden boy in her in her <laughs> f- film series. Um, but yeah, Love Boat Reunion is the sequel. Which um, have you guys have both of you read the first book yet? Or I have, and I'm very excited <laughs> because the characters in Reunion are the ones that I was very interested. in. Yeah, so um, uh, Love Boat Reunion stars Sophie and Xavier. A dual narrative, uh, and these two characters were, I guess, the closest thing to like the antagonist slash rival characters in the first book, and they were like the hot mess characters. So it's really interesting that she decides to focus on these two. Um, so the first book was a YA rom com taking place during Love Boat, which is the Taiwanese overseas um, study tour, which is this um, summer program that the Taiwanese government organizes to um, teach overseas Taiwanese um, youth about culture and language, but really they just go there to party and hook up. <laughs> and so um, that's why it's called Love Boat because a lot of people meet their significant others um, there during that trip. So Love Boat Reunion takes place um, a few months after the mm. first book. The characters have all gone to college except for Xavier because you know, as it's revealed in the first book, he has a severe case of dyslexia, which in this book is further diagnosed as um, dysgraphia. Alexia. Mm. And so he has to repeat his last year of um, high school and his dad ships him off to Harvard Westlake, which is fancy bougie high school here in L.A. Mm-hmm. Things happen and they end up planning a love boat reunion in Taiwan um, mm-hmm. over a weekend. So the first book is a summer camp book. This book is a one crazy weekend book. Ooh, that makes sense because we've already established we know these two characters. So it's yeah. Uh, That'll be fun. Yeah. And, um, you know, the first book was about a enemies to lovers type of relationship. Love Reunion is a second chances romance mm-hmm. because it follows these two characters who had a whirlwind romance that ended badly in the first yeah. book. And in the story, they kind of reconcile. They both grow up a little bit. Um, they both are pursuing different things. Xavier's trying to embrace his love of art, whereas Sophie's trying to shed her reputation as someone who's gunning for a husband. And trying to like kind of become an entrepreneur. And so um, I think it works because second chance romance, as I understand it, is usually one of the hardest romance genres to mm-hmm. pull off. A lot of times the second chance comes years later. And there's usually a reason why they broke up in the first place. No, it, it's hot. It's it's much easier when it's years later and it's like 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 young adult or like teen and then like adult because like you're not the same <laughs> person as you were. It's even hot. 
Really? I've heard differently from other people, so no, I don't know. I, well, I love it when the crossover of enemies to lovers and second chances overlap. That's <laughs> hot. That's hot. Uh, yeah, the, the second chances are can be tough though because if they were both adults when they like fucked up the first mm-hmm. time and like neither of them worked on themselves, no, absolutely yeah. not, straight to jail. Yeah, but if it's like we were teens and we were dumb and we were separated for other reasons, like our pet, that's the Notebook is a second chance. It's love story. Still haven't seen it. Um, <laughs> I mean, mm, I mean, it's not good, but it's good. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, look, the <laughs> only reason why I would watch it is for those actors because I like those actors, but I don't like Nicholas Sparks in general. No, um, no. He's white people kissing by the Atlantic Ocean. Right, right. Exactly. So I would have to agree when it comes to second chance romance, I don't like them per se because usually the reasons they broke up are horrible and I would be like, just leave them behind. But... I do make an exception, especially when you are young and dumb and there are mistakes made, uh, feelings hurt, um, other extenuating circumstances, all this other stuff. Because hopefully by the time you get back together, you can admit that you're young and dumb. And so and I think if it's done well, I am so on board. So I'm excited for this one because both of them, they were not blameless. Um, uh, they both made some huge mistakes. I remember in that because I was like, I really want to like you, but you kind of <laughs> did this. Um, yeah. And another reason why I really love the book is because, um, so I used like for the last like decade or so, I've been going back to Taiwan to visit my parents and family every year. And because of the pandemic, I haven't been able to do so because mm-hmm. in order to go back to Taiwan currently, I have to spend two weeks in quarantine in the hotel. Another two weeks at home, which means I have to spend about a whole month in quarantine before I can even do anything in Taiwan, which just doesn't make it worth it because by the end of quarantine, I have to go back home anyways, right? Yeah. So, um, you know, reading the book and um, she does a really good job, you know, describing the landmarks, um, you know, Taipei 101, um, Dihua Street, lots of places that I would visit when I'm in Taipei. And so it really made me kind of, it's not homesick, it's it's not my home, but like, I guess. Mm Homeland sick? Yeah. Motherland I mean, to a very limited degree, I can understand that because this uh, this season's Top Chef, starting Thursday, um, <laughs> is set in Houston. And I haven't been back to Houston in two years. So I'm going to be watching that like it with you know a lot of interest because maybe they'll show places and or foods and cuisines or streets that, you know, I kind of miss. So, yeah. yeah, I feel you there. Yeah. And um, just the... The style is really interesting too. Um, in the first book, the main character ever is a kind of more a pragmatic character with kind of low self esteem. Whereas in this book, both characters are people who see the world in vivid colors. Like they both mm-hmm. have like an artistic eye. So um, the prose also reflects that. So I found, yeah, it's just, Ooh, it's, it's a fun read. I'm excited for the book. I'm excited for the movie that's coming out. Um, I don't think we have a release date for it yet, but I, I'm just waiting for that trailer because I think it's going to be, you know, it's going to be, at the very least, it's going to be fun. So yeah, Love Boat Reunion uh, by Abigail Hingwen, available at bookstores everywhere. Check it out. And with that, that'll do it for this week's What's Poppin'. When we come back, we're going to go over the latest Asian American entertainment news. Stick around. Hey, I'm Bill Yu, and you may know me from a blog called Angry Asian Man. And I'm Jeff Yang, author, journalist, and celebrity dad. 
We host a podcast called They Call Us Bruce, an unfiltered conversation about what's happening in Asian America. Each week or so, we host a discussion about some of the most vital and interesting topics in our pop culture and our community, bringing in guests who are shaping and informing this thing called Asian America from Hollywood to D.C. and beyond. Uh, we got media, entertainment, food, family, politics, representation, the good, the bad, the WTF of it all. So check us out wherever you get your podcasts or at theycallsbruce.com. Peace. Peace. And welcome back to the Good Pop Culture Club. It is the beginning of March, the end of February, so it's time for our monthly Asian American News Check-In um, in a segment we like to call Do We Want This? where we go around and highlight some of the top stories in Asian American entertainment and ask ourselves if we want this. So, uh, so I guess to start us off, um, Han, what's our first story? So, uh, Deadline reports that that 70s show has cast its young cast. Um, if you need a little reminder of what that is, um, in the late 90s, there was a sitcom called That 70s Show. And two of the main characters were Eric Foreman and Donna. I forgot her last name. Anyway, and Donna. And they got together. And they were played by Topher Grace and Laura Prepon. And um, so this is now a sequel in that it's Eric and Donna's daughter who is going back to her grandparents. So we are still getting Deborah Jo Rupp and uh, Kurt, Kurt Wood Smith as the grandparents. Um, they're going back to Point Place. And so she's going to make friends with some uh, kids there. Uh, as is tradition for that 70s show and the bigger universe. Uh, that 80s show was also a show that was very short-lived that people may not remember. Um, most of these are unknowns. And so while we are excited that two of them are Asian, um, that includes, let's see, Rain Doi and Sam Morelos. Uh, we don't, we don't really know that much. I mean, I'm sure I can like look up, like see Rain Doi was inside hustle, but probably not really known for, you know, anything. Um, the rest of the cast is Kali Haverda, um, who is playing the the daughter, I think, Ashley Alfderheide, also within tradition, uh, names that we need to learn to pronounce, <laughs> Mace Coronel and Maxwell A.C. Donovan. Um, so, yeah, I a full disclosure, not that I really need to. Um, I was a publicity assistant back in the day on that 70s show. So I actually... Um, Watch, I think pretty much most of the episodes, I knew a lot of the actors very, you know, very lightly because of publicity. And I was also there for that 80s show. So I kind of have an invested interest in this. It's still being produced by Carsey Werner, which is the original um, uh, sitcom production house that also made a lot of great shows but also now some of our some of them are tainted but like the original Roseanne um the original Cosby show uh a different a different world which you know great uh let's see uh, Grace Under Fire Third Rock from the Sun so just a bunch of shows um all all sitcoms um but anyway so I'm personally interested in what this uh i am curious to see if um because they have a, a big part of the 70s show was pot so i'm curious to see what they do for this 90s show but anyway do we want this uh the rest of you i can ask i do 
I think as someone who is invested in 90s nostalgia, that 90s show sounds like something that, um, I mean, we're getting all these follow-ups to beloved sitcoms of, you know, the era. Like, like just mentioned, this is the time, uh, like, for some reason, like, for some reason, we are now at the time where nostalgia has finally aligned with what I consider childhood nostalgia. Basically, we're old as fuck now. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and so I'm excited to see what this show becomes. And especially excited that we have, you know, two Asian actors uh, playing, um, I guess, if not starring roles, like main cast roles in in the show. Yeah, they're in the main ensemble. Yeah. Yeah. That ensemble was really good. Like when you think about how all of them kind of went on to do other things, like big things. Um, I, I think the the Carsey Werner eye for talent is pretty strong. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it seems like it's a pretty multi a multicultural cast. Hopefully there is no Fez character in this iteration. <laughs> right, right, right. I think they learned their lesson. <laughs> um, uh, what I think is also kind of a neat little thing is two of the producers um, who were married on, they weren't married on the show. They were already married, but they worked on the show. Their daughter is now a producer. And so they're like, <laughs> the tradition goes on for this. I do um, wonder at what point in the 90s they're going to start. It says 1995. 1995. Okay, so I'm like a little young to remember 95 because they're going to be older than me than I was in 95. But, you know, I think if we get a few more seasons, I'd be very excited to see like the 1997 to 98. I expect mm -hmm. a lot of Backstreet Boys and boy band shit. Like I expect well, the Millennium soundtrack to the album to be playing a lot. So what would be fun is if we kind of do uh, an Ouroboros in which if they catch up to 97, 98 is when that 70s show first started. So oh God. Really? I would like them I would like them to watch that, that 70s, 70s show. show on the 90s show. I mean, they oh, have yeah, to get like up it. to 99, right? Because that's when the Phantom Menace comes out. And I need to see Eric Foreman's disappointment in yeah yes. that, series that would be hilarious and 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 one of the wonderful things i loved about that 70s show was all of the uh celebrities of the day who came on as their um as their younger selves and had to like put on a wig or let's say the rock who played his dad um <laughs> and uh we got like the charlie's angels on there and stuff like that it was just it was just kind of cool uh there was a a comedian I liked. Um, let's see, Tommy Chong was on there. It was just, it was, it had a kind of a goodwill as far as like attracting guest stars. Um, so I, I'm hoping this does well enough that it does the same thing. What, what I think, would be the equivalent? Like, I think you got to get Melissa Joan Hart on that. Um, you're going to have iCarly as herself. <laughs> maybe. No, that's, that's, that's later. That's in the 2000s. Yeah, that's true. All that's true. three Lawrence brothers. Jeez. All three Lawrence. Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. Yes. And like, there's no way Andy can be his 12 year old self, right? <laughs> They're going to have to play That's other great. characters. Oh they might just have to play other characters. The Savage Brothers. Let's get the Savage Brothers in there. Let's yeah. get, um, oh my God, like Drew Barrymore. <laughs> oh, this is good. Ooh. There, there's there's so much. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Um, yeah. I mean, Dawson's Creek was like the biggest thing, right? Oh, At that yeah. Oh, so like James Dawson's Vanderbeek, Creek. As James Vanderbeek playing James Vanderbeek would be amazing. And, you know, yeah. I mean, I'm not mm. expecting to totally relate because this is 1995 in Wisconsin, which is, couldn't be further than the environment that I grew up in, mm -hmm. but I am excited. And, you know, <laughs> I, I got a chuckle when reading this announcement because I guess because um, it looks like they named their daughter Leia, which is hilarious. Leia. Yes, that's that tracks. 
Yep. Um, I would also love to see like, I feel like this is a very Asian specific experience of like the 90s, like getting all the import stuff early, mm-hmm. like being really into like anime and shit or like <laughs> Sailor Moon and all this like, like stuff. And then like your friends not having an idea, like, what are you talking about? Yeah, yeah, that would that would be smart. We'll see. Let's see. Like being really into Dragon Ball Z before it's cool. <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll see how how informed they are um, because we're gonna need younger producers to, to do that. Yeah. So we'll see who else they add and who else maybe to the writers' room they add because right now it's still kind of early days. It seems like like um, they probably have a writers' room, but they haven't really announced them yet. So yeah, I mean, holding my breath. Um, it could it could be really cool. It could also go real wrong. Yeah, um, yeah. I yeah. A note about that '80s show, which um, only lasted like a season, but it also had great talent in it. Even though the show itself was not perhaps as uh, fully realized as that '70s show was, but um, but Glenn Howerton was on it. You know. Uh, Kyler Lee, Tinsley Grimes, Eddie Shin. Um, so I, I, I like that cast a lot. Just maybe it wasn't the best, you know, show. Um, so hopefully that '90s show they thought about it a little bit more about what they were going to do besides just have the fashions on there, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, so I'm 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 interested in it. Uh, yeah. What do we have next? Speaking of 90s throwbacks, um, you know, ask and you shall receive. There is in development a coming of age drama on Freeform called Asian Baby Girl. <laughs> Woo! Um, it's coming from a team that includes um, Natalie Chides, who did The Flight Attendant, Din Tai, uh, who we know, who was the HBO uh, APA Visionaries winner in its inaugural year, Melvin Marr, the producer famous for things like Fresh Off the Boat and uh, Young Rock, as well as Kai Wu, who we've spoken about before as well, who show ran uh, Ghost Bride and was in development for the Nancy Wu detective show. So do we want this? Yeah. Yeah, tentative. Yes. I mean, yes. I think if this can be pulled off, this would be great. I have some questions. I'm not gonna lie. I have some questions. Yeah. Um. You know, as I'm an, like, as an old, please explain me what what is this? Okay, so Asian baby girls <laughs> are very specifically the, it's Southeast Asian women, young women, like high school or like like teens or like young adults who are adjacent or involved with. Asian gang life. Ooh. The aesthetic has since been kind of co-opted by the larger Asian American mainstream and it's kind of said as a joke, but the you know kind of classic things like blonde hair, thin eyebrows. Uh this was mm. very prevalent in the 90s. They still exist in some forms, but um it is a little like the aesthetic has been like somewhat watered down or like co-opted by more privileged like Asian East Asian folks. Um, and, but, but definitely like, it's a, it's a lifestyle slash aesthetic and it's like your, okay. A great example is like, I had a friend whose sister was like a legit, like Asian baby girl. And she, um, she, her high school boyfriend like ended up in jail. Like, I think he Mm. like ended up like hurting someone or killing somebody, assaulting someone or killing somebody, you know, she still visits him. She got a whole family, but, you know, she still reaches out, keeps in touch and visits him, brings the kids to see him like an uncle. Like they down, they down. Um, And a lot of it, uh, it's primarily Southeast Asian kids in like the South Bay, like Long Beach, Orange County. 
you know, Little Saigon, which is where the series is supposed to be set. And it is kind of also a deeper examination about like class, race, immigration, generational trauma. That's the best version of what this movie could, of this, what this show could be. Yeah. The worst version is a very shallow, incorrect, kind of trashy, uh, like euphoria esque trauma porn. I don't like euphoria, sorry. Um, <laughs> like version. Uh, and it's so so it can go a lot of ways. My 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 like concern button is slashing a little bit because this team is not very Southeast Asian. Mm-hmm. Din is, but he's, he's also a girl. man. <laughs> yeah. And again, this is one of those things like anytime you center the stories of young women, I think it's very, very easy to mock or not understand or trivialize them and their stories or their perspective so i mean i like kai and what she's you know i think she's great but then she's not viet or southeast asian and that's also something that could be a problem right like east asian people writing their lens of what the southeast asian experience is han i don't have to tell you about that yeah Yeah. because you know the asian baby girl aesthetic the asian aesthetic was co-opted by suburban East Suburban Asians, East Asian, like where we were just not yeah. grew up, right? Yeah, um, and then and I think that could even be interesting to explore, right? Like, why mm. is that? So, I mean, we've seen this in other cultures, subcultures as well, like hip hop on the larger, um, on a larger scale, and you know, it's and then they themselves. There's also an interest, potential question, interesting questions about their relationship to like blackness and their relationship to hip hop culture so it's like all very there's already a million thing questions i have things i have questions on like in terms of story that i think would be interesting to explore if it's done right yeah i mean here's why i want this is because ever since fresh off the boat teased the possibility of having asian american story in the azn period i've been wanting to see like asian culture portrayed on screen and it's wild that we haven't really seen we've had we've seen it peripherally right like it, it kind of popped up on the sidelines of like say films like fast and furious one and two and mm. better luck tomorrow yes but yes yes we haven't really seen like a story that centers on this specific subculture that uh, for many of us who grew up in southern california in the late 90s was our culture yeah or like you know you had friends or that was like and and like it's also just like I personally wanted to be like an Asian baby girl when yeah. I was younger, but I was like, I can't pull that shit off. Like I am not hard enough. I cannot pull off like the strappy black senses. Like I did not roll with those crowds. But like you know, like part of me probably still dyes my hair blonde because I love that shit. <laughs> like uh, I thought yeah. they were great. Um, and looking, yeah, looking at them right now, it's like if I were that age range, I would have probably been able to dress like them, but I wouldn't have been able to like hang with them. So. Yeah, exactly. And then I think that's also like, a, again, an interesting delineation, like people who co-opt the aesthetic versus the people who like mm-hmm. form that as a cultural identity based off the circumstances of what their, you know, background was or what their access to things was. But those um, aesthetics were cool, though, like the Johnny Angel, the... They were mm-hmm. great. They were great. And then I yeah. also wonder if this is going to be a period piece or current. I really hope it's period because I'm going to be real it with you. It better be. I'm going to oh. be real with you. Current people shows that try to write for youths, mm-hmm. terrible. People don't mm-hmm. know how to write for youths. I think if you're mm-hmm. going to hire a bunch of like 
30 to 40 year olds to write about like Gen Z culture, it always comes out terrible. So yeah. I hope it's like a 90s, early 2000s, like just lean into it. Lean the two early, you know, the 90s are hot right now, which means by the time this show gets to air, if it gets to air, the 2000s will be in. We're already seeing it. I'm seeing some of those tiered mini skirts again. I absolutely refuse yep. to buy them again. It's different when it's your money. Um, yeah, but, you know, cautiously optimistic. I hope this also becomes a great springboard for some great young Asian talents, both in front of and behind the camera. And yeah. yeah. And I do think Dean didn't has the aesthetic for it. Like, I do think it's funny. I do think Monday with a woman, with a young girl makes a lot of sense but also i had issues with monday and the way they portrayed women <laughs> mm, so yeah i mean the team i mean I, I have faith in the people on the team but we'll see we'll see you know like like anything else when that first trailer when those first screenshots come out um you know we can we can get excited about the aesthetics and um yeah i do those want poor, this. those poor actresses though who got a Start dyeing their hair every season. Like, <laughs> have fun. Maybe wigs. Maybe. <laughs> oh, that's true. We'll see. Um, yeah. I am very curious. I I want there just be enough for me to see. Um, I hope it's not cringy, but yeah, I I I definitely see it being possibility for. Um, but Marvin, <laughs> what story do you? <laughs> Um, I have some awards news, not that awards news. This one is overseas awards news, but um, I thought it would be remiss of us not to mention that Creamery won the NZ On Air Best Drama Series Award, which which is, I think, equivalent to their, you know, um, Emmys or Golden Globes. And I thought, um, you know, as champions of Creamery, I uh, wanted to bring that to everyone's attention. Do we want this? Yeah, yeah. give them awards. It needs all the attention it can get because every single time it's back in the news, then that's one more time that people can possibly be like, what's this? And then watch it. Right. And I feel like we're we're just one step closer to that season two. I really yes. need a season two. Yes. Like I really need, I would I would really like a season two. I do want to take this um, opportunity to just mention that, man, the flat three ladies all listen to our podcast about Creamery and apparently they loved all of our hot takes especially <laughs> um just thirsting after that lumberjack style <laughs> i i it's it's i didn't know that that was like the direct intersection of my interests until now yeah yeah so i would like to see more of that and then like maybe more other sexy they don't even have to be lumberjacks I'll yeah, take yeah other can we find ways to get more like maybe there's more random just more just more men more uh, more more ja plot points yes genre types of of men like, oh my god that would be great yeah yeah uh well, I, I yes i'm excited i'm also entering the phase of my life um in that age where i think like men being dirtier is really a like like <laughs> physically dirtier like a little dirt and like scraggly hair is like i used to be very into like the clean cut james bond like slick hair thing now i'm just like oh give me like a long scraggly thing a little beard i actually am like very into it now this is new for me so uh, like more of that i've been into long hair since i was a kid i have to say on a guy <laughs> and and a little bit grunge so like during the grunge era it was kind of like perfect you were for having me. a good time yeah, and also that's why since then flannel has always been so like lumberjack, sure, fine, two uh, beanie, sure, yes, all of it. Um, 
And I have not really changed since then. I've just broadened um, my taste. That still is, does it for me. But uh, yeah, there's <laughs> there's definitely other types. But I have to say, less clean cut is better for me just because I feel like I'm kind of, I don't want to say a slob, but um, I can be very casual. And I feel like you, if you can like camp or or something like that, like not mind, let's say a possum walking into your house, then maybe you can hang with me. So <laughs> just I don't want someone to yeah, scream. <laughs> My partner has a very specific um, length of facial hair that she prefers. It is oh. literally the four day shadow. So I have to <laughs> shave on Monday in order by the time I see her on Friday for it to be the optimal length. And she notices if it's a little bit longer. Like day three or day five, she'll <laughs> notice. Yeah. I'm I'm picky in that you have to, I, I prefer clean shaven, but if like if you have some facial hair, then commit to the facial hair. Like the in-between, it's kind of like mm. it really depends. Um also it hurts. But anyway. Um <laughs> oh, I am physically incapable of growing a full beard. That, so. Yeah. Yeah. You're not one of those uh Asians who are blessed with like every now and then I see the Asian guy with the full beard, and I'm just like, dude, I see why you have a full beard because you can. <laughs> Rock Damn it. you. <laughs> I want to be you. But yeah, congratulations to Roseanne, um, Ali, JJ, and Perlina, uh, and the crew at Creamery. Um, we hope that this means um, you'll get the green light for season two of Creamery because we really need to know what happens. We need to know what happens <laughs> at that Jackoff factory. Yeah. <laughs> that Jackoff factory, yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, on. what's our next story? Uh, so I'm continuing the celebration for with awards, I think you know what I'm going to talk about, which is the SAG Award wins for Squid Game actors Lee Jung Jae, who played Gi Hun in Squid Game, and uh, Jung Ho Yun, who plays Se Byok. Um, and they recently just won this. As far as Sunday went, um, the the speeches were very joyful, and you can just see how like how much he was just taken aback. Like he even had a speech prepared, took it out, and he's like, "But I'm not going to read it." He put it back in his in his uh, jacket. Um, uh, Jung Ho Ho Yun actually knows quite a bit of English, but also spoke um, from her heart in in Korean too, just to be able to express herself fully. Um, I think that it was just both well deserved. She's also, if if you recall, um, uh, first time actor. She's uh, actually an, a model over there. She was in the kind of the, their version of America's Next Top Model, I guess, uh, Korea's Next Top Model, whatever. Um, so this was a great debut for her, and what a strong sort of like challenging role. Uh, I think they both did an amazing job because I think that's one thing, like as much as we talked about the show, that the acting was just very strong overall. So I say we want this. Do we want this? Yes. Yeah. Yes. I mean, the Oscars did that stupid thing again where they nominate like foreign movies, but nominate none of the actors from those foreign movies, which is always bullshit. Because Drive My Car is like, the sleeper underdog all of a sudden <laughs> and you know i've only heard good things about it and none of the actors are nominated in the actor king category yeah it's one of those weird things where it's like how can it be nominated for like best director best director best picture. best picture best foreign picture but not the actors because the actors have nothing to do with the movie you're like what yeah i yeah i i think also it just proves again that people are going to read subtitles yeah i mean <laughs> not an not an obstacle. Yeah, I mean they definitely deserve it. Um, definitely, I think the the whole cast deserves accolades. Um, 
um, just because, um, you know, much like Parasite, it, it was a foreign language series that just captured not only the entire nation's attention, but like our hearts, like those scenes were like, like who knew like a death game story could be so like affecting, touching. Right? <laughs> yeah, that's what you would hope. That's that's exactly what you want is to not be uh, desensitized to death and violence. And th- they did an amazing job. Um, and of course, you know, credit goes to writer director in order to make those moments happen, but also for these people to interpret, you know the material so yeah yeah i will also say like just the the videos that and pictures i've seen of them winning the award like going up and like celebrating just so much i i imagine it's a mix of joy and just surprise because i don't think any of them Mm -hmm. expected to win because of you know the expectations of say a a a, an american award-giving body audience right yeah i i think it's going into this like i didn't do my full predictions um but I knew that they had a very strong um, chance of winning just because I think fellow actors very much recognize it. Because that's the thing you need to remember is, you know, the fellow actors are the ones who are voting on this, um, uh, who are the voting audience. So anyway, um, I think actors recognize actors and that sort of. But at the same time, yeah. You know, <laughs> we've been disappointed before. We can't ha- dare hope at times. So it's like we can only cross our fingers. Like when when Parasite won, I was like very much, you know, but did I put that on my ballot? I think I did just for hopes. But uh, I wouldn't be surprised if I did it just because I was like trying to play the odds. I don't know. It's wild because the entertainment industry is becoming more and more global, which the meaning of these awards also mean different things, right? Like, has these awards now become, like, a global thing? Like, you know, you know how the American mm-hmm. baseball championship is called the World Series? Yeah. Because arrogantly, <laughs> we feel like whoever wins American baseball is the best in the world. Yeah. It, it, I, I, I see what you mean, because, like, the only semi-international awards is supposed to be, like, the Golden Globes, which we clearly have seen as just a very uh, European white you know like bias sort of uh, establishment which is why they you know are having issues um but you know we we kind of keenly look at the baftas but we never think of it as an uh, something that can honor you know american stuff you know uh and and i'm sure that it goes for similarly with other things so yeah i i like the idea that it as 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 Big and and powerful and therefore somewhat problematic as Netflix is, I do have to say that it has made other uh, Americans more open to watching foreign content and consuming other foreign stuff. Um, And that goes for other streaming services, but definitely Netflix, I have to say, is the leading one for that. So, um, yeah, they give and they take. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Jess, what's our next story? All right. And speaking of Netflix, they are also developing another show, a gangster drama, uh, The Brother's Son from Brad Falchuk, a.k.a. Mr. Gwyneth Paltrow Mm. and Byron Wu. The drama series will follow a Taipei gangster named Charles Sun, who is a ruthless killer. But after he is uh, after his father is killed by mysterious assassin, must go to L.A., where he reunites with his mother and fully unaware younger brother, Bruce. So multi-generational Taiwanese-American gangster drama. Do we want this, Marvin? Um, <laughs> yeah. 
Is this like is this like a biography of your life? <laughs> yeah, not so, really. I don't so believe I belong to a crime family, but uh, maybe you just th- don't know. Maybe you're the unaware's younger brother. Maybe I am, even though I am an older brother. I know. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I always forget. yeah. I I'm I'll always be a proponent of you know genre stories starring um, Asians and Asian Americans um, genre stories that sounds cool to me, and you know. Um, um, at the same time, like genre and Asian American stuff, it's been like I feel like it's been like a fifty-fifty type of thing. Like I, mm-hmm. y- you never know what version you'll get. You never know what. Um, and I guess my question is, do, what do we know? I, I'm not familiar with Byron Wu's um, history um, or Brad Falchuk. Um, well, Brad Falchuk is typically Ryan Murphy's producing partner, so mm-hmm. he did Glee, Nip Tuck, American Horror Story, Scream Queens, and Pose. So he so can there's do, some pretty good stuff in there. Yeah, he can do big soapy drama, which I like. You know, I yeah. think it's just successful. For sure. Yeah, and and you know, I'm kind of over like subtle, subdued drama series. Like <laughs> I want like utter trash. Like give me great utter trash. I want the heightened emotions. I'm like, I stop doing like those like artsy pan shots. Like show me someone pulling out someone's hair or like just like, come on, just give it to me. Um, because I just want trash right now. Not saying this would be trash, <laughs> but Byron Wu, maybe not the, that's probably why they paired him up with Brad Falchuk. Uh, yeah. And you know what? That's worked before. That worked. I think he has, has some credits because like Stephen Candles was like straight out of UCLA. Yeah. Pose yep. was literally his like master's, like his scene, his final project for UCLA. And that was great. Yeah. And it was a fucking amazing. I mean, I will say um, I want this because I will always say yes to uh, projects like this. Um <laughs> And, you know, I'll, you know, it looks like Kevin Tanchurin's been um, tapped to be the director and he does great genre stuff. Yes. He comes from that, you know, uh, for better or worse, that Joss Whedon kind of production family, which, you know, we don't talk about. Oh, I mentioned his name. Am I, it's am fine. I cursed now? It's, it's fine. fine. <laughs> um, didn't he also uh, direct something from Warrior? And, yes. Uh, yeah. yeah he he's like an action Warrior. guy. He's, yeah. A, yeah. he's an action guy. He's done he Book of Boba Fett. He's done. It's a good uh, ma- match. Yeah, so I'm excited to see. I, I wonder how gangstery it's gonna be. Like the 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 split between the gangstery part and the family drama part. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, is it gonna be more Godfathery or is it gonna be more like hard boiled? You know, <laughs> like <laughs> yeah. And you know, I've seen I've actually seen um the casting notice for this production being shared everywhere. So I know they're casting currently as well. Um, yeah. Do you want to audition, Marvin? You're Taiwanese. Yeah. I'm not an actor. You, you don't can, want me. You can play a... a I'll yeah. be like... I'll be extra number five. Yeah. Not even the top extra. That's <laughs> fine. Remember when they were shooting Fast and Furious Tokyo Drift and they were just shooting downtown LA and they're like, we need Asian extras. <laughs> just Asian people. Yeah. I mean, according to this Variety article, they're aiming for an all-Asian writer's room, yeah. which is a good and- step. All yeah, that's important. Also, all Asian cast and the casting person is Asian. Um, yeah, so the pieces are there. I feel like we got a good. I say, you know, we got a good chance of this being a good one. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'm very curious because anything yeah. that allows that many Asians to be on screen at once just uh, ups the chances of seeing a new type of character that we haven't been uh, serviced before. So yeah, I'm all for it. All Last right. one. So our last story is um, probably the only downer story of this batch. 
it was announced on Deadline that they're doing a Teen Wolf, I guess, reunion movie or follow-up movie to be um, produced for Paramount Plus. Um, but not all of the original cast members are returning. And you know, if you read further, you find that Arden Cho, who played um, Kira, uh, will not be returning. And you know, further reporting revealed that it's because of the age-old pay disparity dispute. I guess they're offering her way, way, way less than um, a lot of her other co-stars. And Arden Show decided to to walk on the project. Um, so good for her. <laughs> yeah, that's fucked up. <laughs> we don't want that. Yeah, do we want this? No, we don't want that. No, I also I, like this. It got worse because like they posted like a casting notice for basically her character at scale. Yeah, yeah. which means which is pretty much minimum wage for actors, right? Yeah. Which is also yeah. means, okay, so you can't do this movie without her or her character, but also you don't want to pay Arden Cho? Yeah, it, it sucks so much. Also, because when we were talking about, like, it's Teen Wolf, but she she got to play uh, Kitsune. So she got to play an Asian, you know, <laughs> Asian <laughs> supernatural. Yeah. Basically, and I was, that's always exciting to me is when they bring in other cultures when it comes to supernatural creatures or mythology or whatever. Yeah. And so I just like also for the fans, they're not going to want a replacement one, like especially if she's available. That's one thing. It's like if someone died or if something happened, people kind of understand, you know, but like, yeah, if you're just replacing because of money, that sucks. Um, yeah. And I, I mean, like the last, I'm sure this happens all the time, but the last time it was like a high profile thing was when Daniel Day Kim and, um, and Grace Park. Park left Hawaii Five-O, right? Yes. And then it was like, oh, well, the industry has learned its lesson. They'll never do this again. <laughs> except. No. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. There's not going to be a lesson learned, you dumb slut. <laughs> <laughs> It sucks, um, but I'm glad she stood up for herself and made it very clear and public. That was why. Um, yeah. Mm, yeah. That sucks. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe she should have led the story instead of ending her episode with no, the downer you, story. You, but you, you, you I think edit. it's important to, to talk about just because it, it, it was a major thing that happens. And it's still, you know, we've made a lot of progress over the last, you know, four or five years. But we're still being... We're, we're still encountering the same old shit. So um, who knows? Maybe this time, maybe this time, the industry will learn its lesson and this will never happen again. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we can hope. We can hope. Uh, all right. Well, on that note, that'll do it for this edition of Do We Want This? Jess Han, if people want to find out more of your thoughts online, where can they go? My trash takes are on Twitter at Just You Tweets. And I am at Anonymous. You can find me at Marvin. You can find our show at Good Pop Club. We are a proud member of the Potluck Podcast Collective. Uh, check out our fellow Asian American host podcast by going to the website podcastpotluck.com. And yeah, that'll do it. And yeah, that's a wrap for this. Um, and yeah, um, join us next week. Where are we doing Drive My Car? I would like to do Drive My Car. Yeah. Yeah. Are you down for to Oscars? Are you down yes. for some Murakami weirdness? Yeah, sure. Because, I mean, I'm going to love it or hate it, right? <laughs> yeah, because then the next week we can do Turning Red. Oh. Yes. So we'll like switch it up with yeah. something more commercial. Sounds good. Well, we'll see you all next week. Um, thanks for listening. And yeah, bye. Bye. bye.
Sharon. Hey, Raman. How are folks still racist? I know, right? We're like two decades into the 21st century. Yeah. And second question, where's my jetpack? Well, I can't help you there, but have I got a podcast for you. Modern Minorities is a show where each week, my longtime pal Raman and I uncover common and uncommon truths that we all need to hear for our majority brains and ears. Yeah. Sharon and I have spoken to doctors, lawyers, directors, climate activists, angry Asians, athletes, chefs, writers. Folks who are black, brown, gay, straight, and everything in between. Past guests have included comedian Margaret Cho, Southern Poverty Law Center journalist Geraldine Mariba, comics creator Jean Lunyang, and many, many more. We've even talked about Ramadan, Black History Month, Kamala Khan, and Robin being queer. It's like we're trying to solve racism with the podcast. Challenge accepted. So check out Modern Minorities at modmypod.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Remember, we're all modern minorities, but we're no one's model minority. 